With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. the underdog podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another Conference USA Underdog podcast here on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Hard to believe the regular season's over. We just have the Conference USA title game and then of course bowl season to look forward to, which will be fun, but RIP regular season. We hardly knew ye. Um, but a lot of fun action from last week to recap before we get into talking about the title game and what comes after. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry here with you as always, bracing for the uh, winter weather in both parts of the country that we live. Uh, we just kind of got some, uh, some snow melting up here. Eric, how you doing down there in Florida? Well, I'm glad there's no snow, as you saw last night. I relayed an old, uh, you know, story from living in Chicago and my struggles with walking on ice. But it is getting a little chilly down here. It's in it's in the 30s right now as I speak. So, you know, this is typically where I know all the people who are in the northern climates of our lovely conference are rolling their eyes at me, saying, "Why is this guy moaning, complaining about weather? And he lives in Florida." But guys, it's it's a little chilly down here. You know, you got to grant me that 35 is chilly. Sure, I'll give it to you. And the story you told me last night about you, uh, for you know, you you can tell the story better than I can. But basically, you when you were living in Chicago, you're trying to impress this girl by carrying her groceries and slipped on the ice, and there's just food everywhere. Correct. Correct. Yeah, you know, I, I had never. <laughs> I, the funny part about it, Joe, is I didn't even own a pair of boots, right? Which, you know, for those of you who live in areas where it snows and then you know ice is on the ground, you're like, yeah, what are you talking about? I'm sitting there trying to carry her groceries, wearing like you know Jays, and uh, it didn't take too long to realize that those shoes have no grip on ice, and uh, about all thirty-five dollars of her groceries were scattered across. Addison and Fremont as uh, people were coming off the red line and had no sympathy for me being on the ground and her groceries that were just rolling around. So, yeah. <laughs> but what makes it even funnier is apparently you told her I'm an expert at walking on snow, even though you grew up in Tampa. Yeah, that, that is correct. Uh, I was trying to impress her. And she had moved from California. <laughs> so I said, hey, you know, no big deal. You know, I'm a pro walking in, in, on ice. It's no big deal. Uh, it ended up being a big deal. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'd, I'd ask what possessed you to say that, but I think we can all kind of infer the answer to that question. Um, I mean, but, we all can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all, we all tried to do – we all try to do crazy things in our life. Uh, Marshall tried to get on top of CUSA East. They were unsuccessful with uh, FAU's victory, uh, but they still finished the regular season with a win. 
eight and four with a 30 to 27 victory over FIU over the weekend. Uh, took the herd until OT to do it though. Uh, big comeback in the fourth quarter for the Panthers, but uh, all for not, unfortunately for them. Uh, but both these teams are going to a bowl game, but ultimately with uh, FIU closing this season with a loss, I guess, what does that mean for the program? I know one of the things you mentioned on last week's show was it was really important to keep the momentum going after getting that huge win over Miami, but it it didn't happen. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? The reaction hasn't been as strong as I anticipated, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the game, I think because people were frustrated, it was a close loss, you know, and we'll recap that in a second, but uh, in the immediate aftermath, there were people who said, oh, same old FIU. All right, you know, we have our chances and blow it. And I don't even think FIU blew this game. I mean, sure, it's just like any football game. You know there are chances in, in which you could have put some points on the board or done some things differently. But the the glow of the Miami win hasn't necessarily dulled. Now, of course, within the program, it's a different story. You know, you finish 6-6 six and six as opposed to 7-5, and five, uh, have a chance to – potentially, you know, win your eighth game with the bowl win if if I if they were to qualify for a, a bowl at that point. So I think in that sense it's different. But among the fan base, I think most people are still just very much happy about the UM win and are willing to concede that, hey, this year didn't turn out as planned. Um, now, yeah, once again, I mean, as far as the, the game recap itself, you know, FIU definitely had their chances. I think probably one of the most controversial points in the game was a what looked to me – to be a mistargeting call on James Morgan. Marquis Couch looked like he clearly led with his helmet and made helmet-to-helmet contact. FIU responded pretty well. Kalen Wiggins came in on that drive, led him down the field, scored, to a touchdown, scored a touchdown. But in the end, it was just too much of, of um, Brendan Knox. You know, once again, really missed opportunities for FIU, especially with Isaiah Green and, and Joe. I mean, you'll see his stats that, you know, he didn't play well in the first half, and they kind of let Marshall hang around, with which there probably were opportunities to go on there and just close the game out and jump out to a big lead in the first half. Yeah, it just didn't quite shake out for the herd. But uh, you mentioned Isaiah Green. While he's made some – he's definitely made some progress over the course of this year, uh, disappointing to see him not kind of end the uh, end the regular season on a, on a high note, which I – I know we uh I know we know he was he was definitely capable of but he finishes this game 9 of 20 for just 90 yards through the air with with one touchdown uh and tried to get a little run game going with 12 carries but ended up with negative 3 yards uh total but did get a touchdown um so definitely some room for improvement for him uh, but uh, solid game for Brendan Knox overall as he kind of picked up the slack in the run game there with 146 yards and a touchdown on 33 carries. Uh, so we got two bowl-eligible teams out of that game, definitely several more from this conference, which we'll get into. Uh, with that, let's jump into the 100 Miles of Hate game. Uh, WKU beating Middle Tennessee 31-26 to over the weekend. It, it always seems to be a really exciting matchup when these two teams play. I look forward to it every year, personally. Um, but with the win, Hilltoppers finished the year 8-4, and four, tied for second in the East with Marshall. Um, really just a, a fantastic way to uh, cap the regular season for Tyson Helton in his first year under the helm. Um, and then on the Middle Tennessee side, Asher O'Hara becomes the first CUSA QB to rush for a thousand yards in the season since 2009. Eric bonus points. If you can tell me who did it and for what school. Oh gosh. I saw you tweet this out and I meant to look, I did not. Okay. 2009. Let's take a stab at the dark here. 
1,000 um, yards, 2009. This was not 2013. This wasn't Jeff Godfrey, was it? No, from uh, I looked it up a couple days ago, but I believe it was Joe Webb at UAB. Joe Webb, okay, yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, athletic guy played for the Vikings. Yeah, I could see that. I thought maybe you were hitting me with a uh, undercover UCF reference that I was going to miss because uh, Jeff Godfrey, his first <laughs> two years before the um, American came about, you know, they were in Conference USA. But nah, uh, good catch there, Joe. <laughs> no, no worries. But um, yeah, with the season wrapped up for these two teams, uh, what do you think about uh, a this game and, and where these teams go from here? Before I hit that, Joe, I just want to ask you a quick question. All things considered, MTSU finishes with a four and eight record. If Middle finishes with a six and six record, right? Let's say they finish five hundred. A, do you believe that Asher O'Hara is a legit candidate for the Offensive Player of the Year award? And B, which I think this might even be an interesting question. Coming into the year, if you had known what you know now, that Asher O'Hara was going to throw for 2,600 yards and run for 1,000, you would have thought middle finishes 4-8, and eight, right? Because I think both of our concerns coming into the year was more quarterback than anything else. Yeah, I know we were definitely kind of concerned with how Asher O'Hara was going to handle filling the shoes of Brent Stock still. Um, but, yeah, you make a great point, especially at the G5 level, when you see a guy throw for 26, uh, 2,600 yards and rush for 1,000, then, of course, he's going to be a candidate for um, some postseason awards. But at the same time, he just kind of got unlucky with, A, they had some pretty significant injuries along that defense, and that definitely took them out of some of those games. And then I made this point in uh, the CUSA roundtable that's going to go up at some point this week as well, but you have to think if they didn't start the season with such a brutal slate with uh, Michigan, Iowa, and Duke, then uh, you know if they had been able to swap those out for some some G five games, you would think they would have at least uh, been able to get the six and six. That's a really good point because they did, and it's something that could be overlooked. They did start the season, you know, for the second straight year with just that you know, kind of murderous road type schedule. So, yeah, you absolutely think that they probably would get the six and six, you know, if they even play a low-level FBS or an FCS team. So, great point there. Um, just on to, you know, recapping this game, we already touched on Asher enough, so, you know, we know what he did. Uh, just the biggest thing, once again, is this, this Middle Tennessee State defense hasn't really been able to stop anybody, and I think part of that does um, is because of the absence of Reed Blankenship. But you're also kind of surprised that guys like DQ Thomas and, you know, Tyshawn Render and other guys like that weren't able to get going. But give credit to Western Kentucky. Ty Story has turned into one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. And I think none of us saw that coming, even after his first few appearances. I didn't think that Ty Story was going to be a guy who'd go 23 of 30 for 294 and two touchdowns. So, you know, hey, awesome to see that. Gage Walker finishes his excuse me, Gage Walker finishes his regular season uh, really strong with 120 yards on the ground. And just, yeah, overall, I mean, D'Angelo Malone looks like he probably will be your defensive player of the year. It, just great job by Western Kentucky in eight wins. You know, nice to see them close out the season at home with a W. Yeah, definitely things moving in the right direction, I think, for both programs personally. But, um, you know, time will tell. Uh, but you got to be happy with Tyson Helton's first year there. And, um, you know, we talked about this Last week or two weeks ago, but Rick Stockstill's definitely got something left in the tank, and uh, we'll see what he's able to uh, build around that speedy little QB he's got. Um, and then let's move on to uh, you know one program definitely trending up, another one kind of in uh, some unexplored territory. Let's say uh, Charlotte beat Old Dominion thirty-eight to twenty-two over the weekend. 
Uh, dominance in all facets for Charlotte, really, in this game. Two touchdowns for Ben LeMay on the ground. Uh, Victor Tucker caught three balls, but managed to get that yardage total to 118 and a touchdown on the day. Uh, that guy, when he's, uh, you know, when he's all the way up, he is really up there. Um, so Charlotte are going to the Bahamas Bowl, finishing the season seven and five. Uh, and then meanwhile, on the Old Dominion side, they finish one and 11. And um, after 10 years at the helm of that team, Bobby Wilder resigning. Yeah, first off, I'm glad you shouted out Victor Tucker, because I actually ran into, or I should say they ran into me, some of Victor Tucker's family when uh, Charlotte came down and played FIU, Victor Tucker, a local Carroll City High product. So uh, glad you also shout out Vic there. And yeah, you, you make the point that when he is on, he is all the way up. But uh, as far as Old Dominion goes, this is something that we speculated about all year. The time has come. Uh, you know, Bobby Wilder, when I had a chance to see him when they came down to FIU, he was really optimistic about his future with Hayden Wolf. And I think, and I'm curious what you think about this, Joe, because I know we'd kind of, I don't want to say taken some shots, but we found his statement questionable when he said, I'm the coach of the best one in six, one in seven team in America, and so on and so forth. I think both of us found that statement questionable just because we were wondering how honest he was being with himself. And then I found his statements following the firing to be more, I think, more accurate, more genuine. I mean, he said, hey, you know, I didn't do myself any favors when the team goes 1-11. It's not exactly like they're going to welcome you back with open arms. And it was really unique to watch the proceedings on Twitter following uh, Harry Minimum and Ed Miller from the uh, Virginia Pilot just kind of the outpouring of love from the uh, media and in players. And also Bobby Wilder, once again, he handled it with, I mean, he showed up there in a suit and an ODU hat, um, you know, extremely classy on the way out. So you kind of hate to see that happen. But like I mentioned, uh, he said that he didn't necessarily give himself any, you know, any reason for him to bring him back and welcome him back with open arms. And we'll see what the future holds with them. Uh, two names I think you should probably pay attention to, and this isn't with any inside knowledge. It's just my own speculation. Um, Shane Beamer, the son of Virginia Tech head coach Frank Beamer, obviously that name holds a lot of weight in the Virginia area. So if you want to go the young route and infuse some energy, I think that might be one. And then also Ronald Curry, another local guy, kind of a, a Hampton Roads, Virginia legend there. is a wide receivers coach with the New Orleans Saints, if my memory serves me correct. Those are two young guys who maybe, you know, could come in and, and kind of infuse some youth into the program. But all things considered, uh, I think the actual result of A, this game, and B, Bobby Wilder's tenure ending is not something that we're surprised at. No, not necessarily, but it's it's funny. You mentioned the uh, the criticisms we've kind of had of him and uh, the season he's had this year. And uh, I know at one point you mentioned, like, I wonder if Bobby Wilder's just going to, like, punch me in the face at media day next year. Well, you don't have to worry about that. So congrats. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's interesting the amount of, you know, uh, kind words that came out about him after he he resigned. Um, I mean, it's not unexpected. You know, when a guy's there for for ten plus years, obviously he didn't uh, you know do everything wrong. Just a few bad years, and and that's really all it takes to uh, get shown the door in this business. Unfortunately, but you know, when you're there that long, you're gonna definitely build some relationships. And uh, you know, I, f- I feel like he did a pretty decent job of you know being. Uh, being a positive figure in that community and throughout COSA, you know, I don't, other than, you know, the obvious lack of winning the last couple of seasons, I don't think anybody really has anything bad to say about the guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was kind of emotional seeing obviously with his son, Derek being a senior as well. So both of them will make an exit together, but Derek Wilder was one to kind of get up there as he 
closest press conference and gave him a hug. So, you know, it's tough to see, really emotional. Um, once again, like I said, Bobby Wilder handle it, you know, up there, how many guys are going to get up there after being, you know, shown the door, wearing an old Dominion hat, you know, praising everybody there. So, you know, give him credit for the way he handled it. Um, and we'll quickly touch on Charlotte really quick. You mentioned Benny LeMay with the two touchdowns. Chris Reynolds, really one of the best dual threats in Conference USA. Charlotte, seven wins. I uh, had some fun with some of the people at Niner Nation, which is uh, Charlotte's uh, uh, fan forum. And I told them before the year that I thought that Charlotte could win seven or eight games. And there were uh, some people there who uh, had some, you know, names for me. Uh, I think I'd like to think they, they said it lovingly with care, but uh, I may have been called an idiot by a fan or two. And, uh, yeah, they are a bowl win away from an eighth win. So I just want to point that out there for the folks in the Queen City who are uh, absolutely loving the way things are going. They are heading to the Bahamas Bowl. And really quick, Alex Highsmith, uh, four and a half sacks, Joe. Uh, you want to talk about a guy who uh, just shooting up the radar. He's probably going to be like this year's O'Shane Zimenez, right, who, you know, is that Conference USA defensive end like Zimenez or Marcus Davenport, who maybe is a, a round one or round two pick, right, you would think? Yeah, I mean, when you have the kind of breakout year he had, he's got to be on a plenty of NFL radars at this point. Um, so yeah, you mentioned O'Shane Zimenez. That's a pretty solid example of what uh, what we could possibly see out of him come April. Um, but you know, that's another subject of another podcast, and we definitely got uh, plenty more football to talk about. Um, and with that, we'll jump into another game with UTEP. Uh, losing to Rice 16-30 to 30 over the weekend. Uh, Rice end the season with three straight wins. Have to be happy with the progress Mike Bloomgren has made with the Owls. Uh, Aston Walter getting a career high with 149 rushing yards on the day. And on the UTEP side, another win, uh, another one-win season for them, which, uh, you know, definitely got to be frustrating. And, uh, you know, it, no indication seemed to be that uh, – a coaching change is imminent given they just made one, but um, you know, you, you got to be frustrated with the uh, you know, having this result for another year. If you're a fan of that program. Yeah. You know, I mean, you brought it up. It's something that as we get into the off season. I'm sure we'll talk about, maybe we'll have our guy, Andy Morgan back on who covers the team out there uh, in El Paso, but it's not something that's eminent now, but I do think you have to wonder if you get off to another slow start, what Dana Dimmel's future is and how much of that is really, you know, can be laid at, at his feet, the blame. You don't really know. Cause I don't think any of us are kidding ourselves when we say that the club is really bare there. Uh, so I think next year we'll have a chance to see when you have, um, you know, TJ Godwin and Dion Hankins and see what they can do as far as recruiting class. Uh, Quadris Wadley will be back from injury. Maybe, uh, you know, you see if they can put together a three or four win season and maybe that um, is kind of that momentum they need to get things going. But as far as the Rice end of things, I don't think you can be more pleased uh, outside of maybe if Rice is able to pull out a couple more games this year that they were in. You know, it's just a matter of playing four quarters with consistent football. You know they're going to play hard for Bloomgren every week. Just, you know, enough talent. They just need a, a little, a few more playmakers. I kind of went on a Rice podcast, you know, uh, and said that maybe if they have Aaron Cephas, maybe they get another win or two. Uh, that can be debatable, but I just think they just need another playmaker, you know, whether that's at the, excuse me, at the quarterback position, if that's Tom Stewart or just someone who can be a little more dynamic. Obviously, Stewart's a senior, so we know it won't be him next year. Uh, but that can make the difference. But all in all, I mean, you can't be more pleased with the result of this one. And three wins, especially when they were 0-9 and, and they closed the season strong. So uh, definitely things are looking up at Houston. 
For sure. Mike, we, uh, we talked about how uh, Mike Bloomgren was going to take a little bit of time to really get guys to buy into that offense, but it seems like that's definitely been the case the last a uh, few weeks for sure. So hopefully they uh, can, you know, get hot on the recruiting trail and get competitive in this league again, which would definitely make, uh, make things more fun. I think um, one of the more significant results of the weekend though, we got to talk about, and that's FAU beating Southern miss 34 to 17 um, notes from this game, Southern miss turning the ball over five times Um which you obviously can't do and still win football games at the D one level. That's embarrassing. Uh, Harrison Bryant looks all pro with three catches for three touchdowns. Really? He was like one of the most fascinating aspects of this game when I watched it back because granted he's a big dude for sure. And he's proven to be a legitimate, you know, red zone threat time and time again, but every Southern Miss defender I saw try to D him up the second they made contact with him, it looked like they just like flopped and that's, you know, he made him pay with three touchdowns. And it was like, you know, at, at that kind of stage, you would think that Southern Miss defense would be ready for it. And they clearly weren't. Uh, and I mean, neither was the offense if they're going to turn the ball over five times, uh, arguably USM's worst game of the season, which, you know, when you're in contention for your division title, you can't play that way. Uh, meanwhile, FAU going to the ship uh, for the second time in Lane's tenure since he got there. Uh, Chris Robinson playing fantastic once again. Um, you got plenty of other guys chipping in on that offense as well, but uh, have to be happy if you're an Al fan and uh, coming up big and in a big moment. It's funny you make the point about Harrison Bryant's size, right? This is going to sound like an oxymoron. Joe, Harrison Bryant is the sneakiest 6'5", 240-pound dude you will ever meet. When I, when I met him at Media Days, I, I think it's because, you know, he's kind of a shy, quiet guy. You know, it's funny. He, Alex Highsmith, you know, two of the best players in CUSA who are also two very large individuals are very shy kind of demure personalities. So maybe it's the fact he's kind of, you know, his eyes slink away from you and kind of like slumps his shoulders a little bit, but he is sneaky, like gigantic. Um, that aside, you talk about his uh, production on offense. He gets the three scores. I'm going to look at the defense, uh, a guy who is a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate and Achilles Kiki Leroy, 11 tackles, a sack, two picks. I mean, he's just become one of the best players in conference USA you know, no matter the side of the ball and how much of that is due to the, you know, Glenn Spencer's impact of putting these guys in great positions. We don't know, but you can say that kind of the position he's playing is probably a product of Glenn Spencer's three, four defense. So he does a great job. Miko Dotson, he has two picks. He will finish the year leading conference USA with eight interceptions and just overall, I mean, great coaching job by Lane Kiffin because entering the year, FAU is a team who, you know, we were kind of curious to see. And even Coach Kiffin said it himself, himself when I asked him, he said the biggest test is going to be, are we going to be closer to that 2017 team who, you know, played well? Or are we going to be a team that accepts, you know, mediocrity in 2018? You know, we'll, time will, will tell and play itself out, but that's what I'm most, most interested in. And clearly he's gotten the right results that they're much closer to the 2017 team. And something that he has to be happy with is that it's mostly his guys. It's not, you know, Charlie Partridge guys from 2017. Uh, it's yet a lot of his guys are coming here and making plays. As for the Southern Miss side, four interceptions from Jack Abraham, that's shocking because we know that he is a guy who uh, completes a lot of his passes and typically protects the football. So the fact that he played so poorly, uh, the entire offense as a whole was shut down. Quez Watkins, you know, I know that's one of your favorite guys in Conference USA, Joe, 
three catches for 13 yards, you know, not much there on that end. So just really a disappointing result for Jay Hobson's squad. And um, yeah, I mean, outside of that, FAU, the conference title game is heading to Boca. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what FAU can do in their second uh, trip there in three years, but should be a really entertaining game, which we'll get to. But yeah, you mentioned Southern Miss and, and their underperformance. I, I don't know. I just I was watching it. I was just like, is this the same team that we saw, you know, blow people out of the water at points this year? I, that was that was just one of the more disappointing performances of the entire season from any team, in, in my opinion. So that's that's frustrating. Um, staying in CUSA West, Louisiana Tech beats UTSA 41 to 27. Um, so Tech, the uh, you know, really what we thought we were going to get out of this game. Uh, UTSA with that loss, they fire coach Frank Wilson after four years. Um, and you know, the other note for tech, I want to note, um, the two losses without Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy, kind of the difference as to why they're not going to be playing for the title game this week. Um, so it's really unfortunate that happened when it did, because it, it cost them extremely dearly, clearly, even, even with a blowout win here. The story will be told, you know, in the days and weeks and months to come. I mean, I've had various people from Louisiana Tech, you know, forums and, you know, uh, fan sites contact me and say, hey, there's more to this. They know I am not in the know at all. So I will be watching back, uh, you know, looking to see what happens, you know. um, But you're right. It's those suspensions essentially cost them their opportunity to go to Boca and or, quite frankly, they might have been able to host that game in Ruston uh, if they, you know, get another win there because they finished the year nine and three. If they get ten and two, that game's coming to Ruston. So yeah, moving on to UTSA, it is absolutely, you know, athletic director, athletic director at UTSA, Lisa Campos. It is her show. You know, she made the choice to fire Frank Wilson. I think you look at the timeline here. It's something I outlined in my three things you learned about Conference USA piece. At the time of Lisa Campos's hiring. Frank Wilson had a record of 11 and 11 and they were six and five in that year, which was 2017. Since then he's gone nine and 17 and he hasn't really, once again, we talk about, you know, their old dominion and Bobby Wilder, not really giving them any reason to bring him back. Frank Wilson's performance, especially on the field wins and losses offensively, they've been an abysmal offense. They are going to finish the year last in scoring offense uh, last year. And they're going to finish 10th in scoring offense this year and then in the stands where fans have not been flocking to the Alamo Dome by any stretch of the imagination despite paid attendance so all three of those things didn't really give Lisa Campos a reason to bring back Frank Wilson and you have to think that she's going to want to make her own hire to begin with so we'll see you know her ties from northern Arizona and being a native um, uh, from Colorado to see where she looks as far as someone could take that job but I, I just think overall the cupboard is not bare. No one's going to accuse Frank Wilson of being a bad recruiter. You have guys like Sincere McCormick, who is one of the best young talents in Conference USA. We'll see what can happen with Frank Harris, if he can come back and be healthy. You know, there is talent on this team. I just think, I just think you know, I, I guess if you're asking me, in Frank Wilson's defense, when you lose who you anticipate is going to be your starting quarterback two years in a row, that is going to hinder any team. But then – Uh, On the flip side, I just don't think that he did a great job recruiting, and I don't want to critique his his coaching X's and O's. That's not my, you know, cup of tea. It's not my thing. But 
you have to look at it and wonder just where things went wrong. Because I, I think there are a lot of people who are around this program who would look at it and say, uh, even though the record's going to say four and eight, you know, they weren't really competitive for the better part of the past two and a half seasons in Conference USA play. And um, we'll see where things go from there. Yeah, uh, a couple of things I'm glad you brought up here. One, uh, Lowell Narcisse, and I would put Sincere McCormick in this category too. Uh, there's definitely some talented pieces for whoever gets this job next to build off of, and I'm excited to see uh, A, who gets it, and B, what they can do with those two guys in particular, so should be interesting. And uh, B, yeah, it, it's similar to the Bobby Wilder uh, situation where regardless of the – well, yes, they were not – competitive the last couple of years and that was definitely uh frustrating to watch as someone who wants to see uh you know every team in this league be as competitive as possible um but at the same time uh just from the reaction to his departure this guy clearly had you know the makings of a decent culture there they just couldn't put it together whether it be injuries or just poor on-field performance and that's definitely disappointing to see it uh end in this fashion yeah you know like it's it's weird it's like i'm struggling to find the words because you look at it and i think you know we're saying the same thing here is that there is talent there you know they just it's why i keep pointing back to losing your quarterback for the past two years because if you're any team you know and you lose the guy you think you're going to be a starter but especially at the g5 level you know you're going to have issues but at the same point in time there's a difference between having issues and i mean you and i have seen this team over the past two years there have been games that, quite frankly, have been unwatchable just from an offensive perspective because they they can't move the ball. And how, how can you even critique the defense when the offense is, you know, being that abysmal? So it, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I just think the biggest key for whoever comes in and takes that job has to be, A, establishing an offensive identity, an offensive culture that is going to put people back in the Alamo Dome and put points on the board. For sure. Uh, so the future of UTSA football, uh, we'll see where it goes from here with uh, Frank Wilson again being out after four seasons. Uh, some more coaching changes in CUSA West at uh, North Texas. Seth Luttrell still in charge there, but he fires both of his uh, coordinators following a 26-21 uh, to 21 loss to UAB over the weekend. Uh, needless to say, disappointing season overall for the Mean Green. Uh, UAB do what they need to do and clinch the West. They go to the title game against FAU next week. Uh, notable play from this game, pick six from TD Marshall. Obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but probably the difference maker in this game, given that it was only a uh, five-point win for the Blazers. So mathematically, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, but that defense has just been superb all year, and I feel like we don't give them enough credit despite them being – statistically the best defense in this league. They just haven't really had like a standout performer like a D'Angelo Malone or an Alex Highsmith or what have you. Um, but, you know, before we praise UAB some more, I, we should probably dive into the North Texas situation. Um, obviously taking steps to improve and make sure that this kind of season doesn't happen again for them. But obviously very disappointing to see uh, them end the year with just four wins in, in Mason Fine's uh, final collegiate season. I will say I found it both surprising and refreshing isn't the word I'm looking for because you never want to see anybody lose their job. But how many times, Joe, do you see coaches say, hey, you know, maybe they wait by a coordinator a year too late um, and they say, I'm going to stick by my guy and see if things can work out. Once again, never want to see anybody lose their job. But I guess I just found it interesting that Seth Luttrell decided, hey, this year did not go as planned. 
clearly. I actually saw something, and I I don't want to attribute it to Chris Benini because I don't know 100% that it was him or not, Chris Benini from The Athletic. But I saw something on Twitter that said that Seth Luttrell may have cost himself you know, a fair amount of money. Uh, I believe they said millions. Uh, I don't want to put an exact dollar figure on it just based on the way this year played out and that he could have, you know, left North Texas at, at, you know, any time prior. And obviously he didn't expect the season to turn out the way it did, but just, he decided, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and make these changes. Now, clearly, you know, the co-offensive coordinatorship did not work out. I remember you and I had joked before the season that they should just have Mason fine call the plays and maybe things will work out. Um, you see what happened there. And then defensively, there's no question this def- defense just, you know, I don't want to say it cost them their year, but if you can't put up or at least stop teams from putting up enough points to where Mason Fine and his offensive talents aren't enough to win games, then clearly there's an issue there. And I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, 100%. It's almost interesting that when you think about, you know, last year when uh, Seth Luttrell was up for the Kansas State job and had been discussed amongst, uh, you know, candidates for a, a number of other P5 jobs uh, chose to stay at North Texas and finish out uh, Mason's fines career at the very least. But, you know, you got to think like, do you think there's any kind of regret he has about doing that given how this year went? You know what? I don't think so. And I'm only saying that just because, you know, if anyone's ever seen Seth Littrell or met him or interacted with him, he is, you know, very quote unquote, typical Texas football coach guy who just, you know, he literally, he's the coach off of Friday Night Lights. I mean, that's exactly who he is, you know, so he doesn't strike me as a guy that has regrets. Um, But I mean, let's, let's kind of think about this for a second. And, you know, I want to stay with the defense here, right? Look at UAB's defense. They don't have, and you you touched on it, they don't have necessarily an Alex Highsmith or D'Angelo Malone who puts up, you know, eye-popping numbers, but Christopher Mole has been one of the better defensive players in Conference USA, and Garrett Moreno, just from a pure defensive tackle spot, uh, is one of the best. I mean, he's probably going to play in the NFL next year just because he fills that role really well. And I think that's what North Texas was missing. You know, they don't necessarily need a guy who um, goes out there and has 100 tackles and 10 sacks. They just need defensive players to go out there and do the little things because Mason Fine will take care of the rest, right? I don't know if maybe to your eye you saw the same thing and that they just didn't have you know, enough guys who did a solid job defensively, you know, like in previous years. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty, pretty fair um, criticism of this North Texas defense. And we mentioned UAB's defense and the superb job they've done all year. But, um, you know, and again, we said it several times that they, they don't really have one star guy that sticks out among that group. But if you had to pick one, who do you think it would be? My guy's Garrett Moreno. Like I said, just him doing it from that, you know, defensive tackle spot. Um, he had three tackles for loss. I mean, he's someone who, even last year, when he was doing it in a platoon role, was always, you know, I think I want to say he had something like 11 or 12 tackles for loss last year. Um, he may, I don't have it directly in front of me, but he may have made pro football focuses all the USA team, which, you know, just goes to show you that he's getting recognized, even though he doesn't have the eye-popping stats, He's someone who's going to get recognized. Um, so, yeah, that would be the, the guy I'm trying to scroll. Yeah, I was trying to scroll really quick while I'm talking. Garrett Moreno did make PFF's all CUSA first team for the interior defender. Um, highest grade overall, which is a, an extremely great accomplishment, and second highest grade among run defenders. So, I mean, he just is uh, – and I think you know how it is from that defensive tackle spot. You know, you're never going to have, you know, 
15 sacks and, you know, um, 100 tackles in a season. But your job is to plug the run and allow other guys to make plays, and he does a great job of doing that. Absolutely. So great finish to the season for UAB. Tough one for North Texas. Um, And uh, the Blazers move on to the CUSA championship game, which we will get to. But first, uh, time for the middle section. In this version, we will talk about some postseason awards. I've been kind of excited to discuss this with you, Eric, even though I feel like we're going to land on uh, some of the same guys for for some of these awards. Uh, But basically, for Offensive Player of the Year, let's start it off with that one. Um, You know, I've said it before, but I feel like Chris Robison's pretty deserving of this award because he's been such a playmaker this year. He's been, uh, frankly, he's just turned his whole collegiate career around from where he was, you know, one year ago, two two years ago. and, you know, with the, the disciplinary problems, the, um, you know, on the field performance issues, he's he, but he's played so fantastic this year and developed such good chemistry with a number of his receivers. Um, and I mean, just look at the win, the the win total. He's got his team to the COSA championship game. He's 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 balling out of control, as the kids say. So I feel like he's probably the best candidate for that award as it stands right now. Yeah, we're going to be in agreement there. You look at his numbers, you know, 22 touchdowns, only five interceptions. The fact that he's been able to protect the football as well as he has has really made a huge difference. He hasn't cost his team any games this year, throws for over 3,000 yards. And we, we touched about it. You know, we won't harp on the off-the-field stuff too much because that ended up, you know, taking care of itself. Just the fact that on the field he's improved leaps and bounds as a, as a, play, as a play caller. Wow. As a uh, signal caller – uh, you know, you got to give him a lot of credit there. So that'd be my number one guy. If I had to come with a number two, I think it'd be a, a toss up between Brendan Knox and, and, and maybe Benny LeMay or maybe even Justin Henderson um, or, or even, you know, a, a dark horse guy. If I really want to, you know, get into it like Ash O'Hara, but a solid number two would probably be Brendan Knox. But yeah, I mean, I think this one is pretty solidly Chris Robinson's award to lose in my opinion. Uh, defensive player of the year might be a little more tight, but offense, I think that one is heading to Boca. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the season that Brendan Knox had. He he played fantastic. I believe he led the league in rushing this year. So uh, hats off to him for sure. Um, if you talk about dark horse guys, uh, I would feel bad giving it to Ty Story, given that he just didn't have the stats because he did. He played in three fewer games. But I feel like if he had those three games back, he he'd definitely be in the conversation. Um, and then you mentioned Asher O'Hara and the fantastic individual season he had. Um, Ben LeMay, of course. And yeah, I feel like on that side of the ball, those are all uh, some good candidates. Um, Jamar Smith, I think, had a fantastic year. If he hadn't missed those two games, he would he'd definitely uh, obviously have higher totals and, and thus be uh, in the conversation as well. Um, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, uh, I'm curious to hear your take on this, Eric. Who do you think gets the Defensive Player of the Year award for COSA in 2019? So it's funny, Joe. If you'd asked me this question a week ago, I would have said D'Angelo Malone. And I still am pretty solid in the D'Angelo Malone camp. However, Alex Highsmith's four and a half sacks and, you know, five tackles for loss last week, that was a huge push that, A, put him – let's just look at the the leaderboard here. He now leads Conference USA in sacks. He leads Conference USA in tackles for loss. Uh, which is a, a category that he was not leading, at, you know, heading into last week. Blaze Aldridge was number one, and D'Angelo Malone was number one in sacks. And then in tackles, Alex Highsmith is in the top ten. Um, so I, I just think it's it might at this point be his 
award to lose. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, if we're not going Alex Highsmith, I think you got to go D'Angelo Malone, and then you have to look at guys like, to be honest, Amik Robertson, just because he's far and away the best defensive back in Conference USA and one of the best defensive players. That's not even close. Uh, you know, you look at the pass he's defended, he leads the league in that. Interceptions, even though Miko Dotson's going to lead it with eight, the reason why is because no team wants to throw it to Meek Robertson. He finishes second with five. And just to prove his worth, not only when Amik Robertson gets the interception does he you know, create a turnover for his team, it usually is a pick six because he has three pick sixes on the year. So um, I, I think he's a guy you have to look for as well, but I think you got to go with Alex Highsmith. Yeah, all solid points. I think it's going to be between Malone and Highsmith, like you said. Uh, Highsmith, statistical leader in, in tackles for loss and sacks, uh, had a really great year, obviously. Um, I feel like Malone is, you know, I, I think he would be my pick. Uh, basically, I mean, yes, you can argue the bias, but also I would say there's not a defensive player in the league who's meant more to his team's success this season than D'Angelo Malone. Yeah, Joe, it's interesting you say that. I have to agree. I'm just was thinking, thinking to myself if Alex Highsmith has had that type of impact for Charlotte, but you can look at you know the Benny LeMays and the Chris Reynolds and Victor Tucker for Charlotte and say, hey, those guys have made plays as well. Yeah, you know what? I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I think if you're asking me who I would vote for, I would vote for Malone. But I think Highsmith ends up winning it. But I do agree with your point because in the early part of the year before Ty Story kind of had his, you know, ascent into playing really good football, D'Angelo Malone was just, you know, crushing things on the defensive side. So, yeah, I'm, agree- I'm inclined to agree with you on that one. Hey, I got one. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you mentioned Meek Robertson and the fact that he is the best defensive back in the uh, in the league by far. I would definitely agree with that. There's been no one more effective defending the pass this year. Uh, so regardless of what happens, congrats uh, to him on a really fantastic season. And, uh, you know, I feel like he'll make uh, – he'll probably make an NFL team very happy at the close of this year. Um, and uh, finally, coach of the year. Um, I think we're in agreement on this one. I think I got to give it to Will Healy. Um, For me, it was between Healy and Tyson Helton. But here's the thing. When you talk about those two programs, I really think Tyson Helton came into a situation where there was just like a little bit of like a tweak needed. Like Mike Sanford was just like one piece that just didn't really quite fit into the puzzle that was Western Kentucky football. But then you look at Charlotte and I mean – I think really you just had to kind of throw that whole puzzle out and kind of start over. And Will Healy's done such a good job of rebuilding the culture, uh, you know, getting the talented guys that he already had on that roster, like Ben LeMay, Alex Highsmith, Victor Tucker, you could go on and on. Uh, But he's done such a good job of unlocking what they have. And he's got fans excited about the program again. He has the players excited about the program again. And, you know, frankly, I feel like, you know, this whole new lifeblood that he's rejuvenated uh, that program with, uh, it's, it's going to pay really good long-term dividends. So it's funny that we're flipped on this, and you being the Western Kentucky guy, that's what makes it pretty ironic, right? So this is not to take anything away from the coaching job that Will Healy has done. However, I think Will Healy's greatest impact isn't necessarily going to be coach of the year 2019 this year 
I'm the guy who argued, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while now, that Brad Lambert might have, you know, been worthy of another year just because of the guys, uh, Highsmith, Benny LeMay, you know, Chris Reynolds. I thought there was plenty of talent there. I think Will Healy's biggest impact would be the fact that he's rejuvenated, A, the fan base, and kind of infused this culture and this energy, not only among the team, but in the Charlotte area and the way that they're going to go about recruiting. You know, we've talked about Club Lit, you know, the the post-game DJ and how much big of a party it is post-game. So I think that's going to be his biggest impact, not necessarily the fact that he did a great job coaching this team this year. And it's not to say that he didn't. I think that if you're Tyson Helton, you know, Mike Sanford, we've talked about it a lot, really kind of just dulled the enthusiasm of the players, the you know, the the fans. And we didn't really necessarily know what this Western Kentucky team was. I mean, I don't know uh, how you felt. I know I didn't necessarily know. I could have easily seen them being four and eight, three and nine this year. And I think the fact that he's gotten the most, you know, you talk about the move of flipping Gage Walker from a guy who was a reserve cornerback for three years, makes him a running back. He's third in Conference USA in rushing. Gets the most out of Ty Story. Uh, Stephen Duncan was playing well as well. I mean, there were some proven commodities, guys like Lucky Jackson and things of that nature. And D'Angelo Malone was a solid player, had a solid year last year, but he's you know turned into a monster this year. Uh, I'm more inclined to give it to Tyson Helton. Interesting. Okay, you know, I think you make some solid uh, some solid points about you know the state that Western Kentucky football was in prior to Helton getting there. And I mean, I think going into this year, I think I picked them to go four and uh, four and eight or five and seven. Uh, but I mean, to get them to where they are now, where they're eight and four, and uh, really just such a uh, not only are they like winning a lot but they're just expected to win week in and week out for the most part and i feel like that's you know where people expected this program to be when mike sanford took over based on the condition that uh, uh jeff brom left it in when he left so i feel like that's uh you know you really can't give enough credit to both of those guys and obviously either of them are uh, deserving of coach of the year for this league in my opinion no question here i just think you know great job by both of them and if you're a fan of this league, you have to be happy that you've got two young guys in there you, you think uh, will be a part of this league for a while, or at least you hope they'll be a part of this league for a while. Yeah, no reason to think that they uh, they won't, at least for a few years here, given their uh, their body of work so far and uh, some of the recruits that these guys got coming in. So definitely uh, some bright futures within CUSA to talk about at a later date. But now time to talk that's a poor drum roll but <laughs> time to talk about the cusa championship like, game. Like, did, did something fall on your counter that what... I, I tried to <laughs> drum roll and just my rhythm was just completely <laughs> off um but yeah cusa championship game uh fau owls hosting the uab blazers um you can catch that game uh on television somewhere as my computer just froze so i apologize but um yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting contest, frankly, because it's a really, really good offense against a really, really good defense. Uh, Chris Robinson, we talked about how he's arguably the best offensive player uh, in CUSA at the moment, so expecting a big performance out of him. Uh, but then you have uh, UAB's defense on the other side with Garrett Moreno and company really causing problems for you know, every defense or every offense rather that they face this season. Um, so FAU favored by seven and a half games on uh, CBS sports network. 
at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, you know, my gut has to go with the L's because I've just – they just seem to, you know, create new, you know, create uh, sparks every time they get on the field this year with, uh, you know, the way that offense is going. UAB, I'm a little concerned about their offense. Dylan Hopkins, he's, he's definitely improved, but I don't think he's – in a position of where he could really win a, uh, a quarterback duel with Chris Robinson at this point. Um, and I mean, FAU, I think they've, uh, they've played some pretty solid defenses this year and uh, they've been, uh, they've been really successful with the exception of that, that weird loss to, uh, to Marshall midway through the season. So I think I got to give my, uh, my vote of confidence to the Owls. Yeah, I know the FIU contingency who follows me and listens to me will not be happy to hear this, but it looks like we are in for the second conference championship in three years. That will be heading to Boca, Lane Kiffin, and the Florida Atlantic Owls. I have no reason to think they won't win this game. Quite frankly, I'm very confident that they will. And this isn't to denigrate or take anything away from UAB in any you know, form or fashion. Uh, Bill Clark's done a phenomenal job. A lot of the things you can say that Lane Kiffin has done with the program, you can say that Bill Clark has done there at UAB, and even more so, you know, resurrecting the program from the dead, so to speak, uh, quite literally, as a matter of fact. But when you look at it on the field, I think you touched on it. Uh, you look at Dylan Hopkins and Tyler Johnson III, the combination of those two just hasn't been consistent enough. They've had their moments. Both of them have shown moments, you know, one as a passer, one as a rusher, one as a dual threat, you know, doing a little bit of everything. But I just don't think that you look at – I mean, let's just use the eye test. You compare that to having Chris Robinson, I mean, that's, you know, night and day. You're taking FAU's quarterback, you know, ten times over. Spencer Brown, we've talked about his struggles. He's been not – the most healthy finishes the year, even though he's coming off a hundred yard performance. I think that's key. So it looks like maybe he's rounding into form a little bit, but he finishes the year with 411 rushing yards. That's not very Spencer Brown. Like it's going to take a lot from this defense, you know, Christopher Mole, Garrett Moreno, um, Noah Wilder. It's going to take a lot of, of, of just, you know, everything they have from guys like that. And to, it's funny to remember that they're doing this without their all-star cornerback who was injured, you know, at the beginning of the year. So, uh, that's something that, you know, maybe if they have him back, um, you might be looking at a bit of a closer ball game as far as having that defensive impact. But I just don't see enough firepower to, to A, shut down FAU's offense. We know that Harrison Bryant is a stud, Malcolm Davidson, D'Angelo Antoine, and then guys like Kiki Leroy. I mean, they are playing their best football right now under defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer, and I just don't see any reason why um, Florida Atlantic doesn't win this one. Will FAU live up to our expectations, or will the Blazers make us eat our words? Uh, tune in on the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, never mind. Uh, CUSA Underdog Podcast. Um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be a really fantastic game. Um, we uh, build up to the CUSA Championship game here. You can go back and check out all the preview content for that we've done on uh, underdogdynasty.com, along with uh, American content, Sunbelt content, all that good stuff. Um, folks, as we end the regular season here thank you all so much once again for listening this is this is so much fun and uh i'm really thankful to everybody who listens to this show every week it, it's been nothing short of a blast and, and looking forward to continuing to do it throughout bull season and the off season uh so if you want to follow us on twitter at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore at eric c henry underscore and then of course at underdog dynasty as well uh, you can like Underdog on Facebook, and if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. Uh, just search Underdog Dynasty, and then we are on Spotify as well. Um, and then check out the site 
itself. As I mentioned, underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football goodness. Uh, Happy football watching, everybody. Really enjoy the game and uh, come back next week. We'll talk about it.